Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show! I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today out in San Francisco is Jenny Chi. She is a poet and scientist, a PhD in biomedical science, cancer biology. But more importantly for us, her poetry is published in many interesting places like the New York Times, The Atlantic, and excellent literary magazines like Rattle, and many more. She was born in Pennsylvania grew up in Las Vegas and Nashville, and now, as I mentioned, she lives in San Francisco. Her new book, Just Out, from Steel Toe Books, it took their poetry award, is called Focal Point. She's also working on translations of her late mother's memoir of the Chinese Cultural Revolution and their immigration to the States. So Jenny, I'm really happy to have you here. You have a different kind of background, and that means you'll tell me things I don't know. <laughs> Hi, Charlie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, too. Thanks for having me. Do you find uh, or have you much contemplated the effect of your science work on your poetry? It does come up specifically in a couple of poems in the book, but just in generally, do you think it does anything to your head to have that science in it? Yeah, that's a good question. And one that I think people have asked me a lot. And in the past, I used to think, no, 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 it's a good question. But I mean, like in the past, like people used to ask me that. And I would say like, oh, I don't really think so. But when I was putting this book together was when I finally realized like, oh, yes, actually, a lot of these poems are influenced by the work that I was doing in lab and just like what I was thinking about all the time. So, so, so the short answer is yes, but it took me a long time to realize that, which is why it's such a great question now. Okay. Glad we gave you a chance to clarify that after all those years of misinforming your uh, interviewees. Okay, well, why don't we just start right in with a poem and then we'll take the conversation from there. Whatever you'd like to start with. Sure. Um, I will, I'll start with writing elegies like Robert Hass. Writing elegies like Robert Hass. Last night, I heard Bob Hass read an elegy for his younger brother. And I chuckled when he said his brother had the impulse control of a ferret. 
And I thought of all the elegies I've written for my young mother who ate only what she liked and scratched bug bites until they bled. And I thought, gee, I wish I could write an elegy to induce chuckling. What I meant was, I wish I could remember her and chuckle. It took me six months to talk about her, to admit she was dead. It took another four to say dead. It took another five months and 13 days and 20 some odd elegies to write how she'd scoffed. If she had raised that sissy friend of mine, he would have grown a spine. I keep trying to write an elegy for my mother that remembers her like I do, or rather like I want to. How she could be so petulant and stubborn, so greedy for living, so hasty with love. I want to remember the quarters she kept for homeless men in the car she drove too fast, the oranges she pushed at my friends. I want to remember how she sniffled through movies and how pleased she was when I did too. Instead, I always think of the Friday in February when I found her face down on the floor because I'd left the room for five minutes to cry in the bathroom and wash my face and the side rail collapsed and the doctor looked at me like I'd pushed her. Yeah, the poem, I really like that poem. Thank you. And, and it does what so many good poems do because the last thing obviously puts a light touch in there, but then all around it, it's, it's quite serious. In the end, to think that somebody thought you pushed her is, yeah, quite, quite the downer there, you might say, <laughs> or the in-your-face piece of reality, and it happens. I mean, mm-hmm. those experiences happen. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever actually read this out loud, like in a reading or anything, because it, it is such a downer at the end. <laughs> Oh, oh, but it's so, no, it's so interesting. You definitely, audiences will love this, I promise you. <laughs> Listeners, don't you love it? I'm sure you do. <laughs> it's just a really good poem. There you go. So your mother seems like a, a really um, dynamic, I'm looking for the right adjective. I want to kind of person, let's say. I won't fill in that adjective kind of person. I just was going back through because when I get these books and I read through to get ready, I miss a lot. Of course. Mm-hmm. That's why before we started, I mentioned a few poems that jumped out at me. I always do that. Then I know I've got something to say to you that I've that reflects what interested me in the book. But also there was one of it looked like your mom worked in the casinos in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I find that, I don't know, exotic or I don't know. It's just a little different. It's definitely novel for a lot of people. Um, I guess. I don't know if that many people know that I grew up in Las Vegas. Um, I'm often told I don't seem like someone who grew up in Las Vegas, whatever that <laughs> means. <laughs> I guess I don't seem like I would be a showgirl. <laughs> um, okay. And and so that's um, a, I guess that's a pretty common just line of work there. There aren't too many things you can do in Las Vegas without being somehow affiliated with the casino industry. So. So yeah, when my parents moved there, um, that was sort of a, 
not an easy thing, but like, I guess one of the easier lines of work to get into. Hmm. Well, yeah, what well, was noticeable? Because I'm thinking, well, that seems kind of exotic or at least different, you know? Yes, yeah. definitely different. <laughs> when, you went, when you went to school, you went, you went out there in California. Well, I've, I missed it. Where else were you uh, educated? Mm. Yes, so um, we moved to Las Vegas when I was like five-ish. And then for college, I went to Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Um, which is, I hope it doesn't seem disingenuous that I say that I grew up partially in Nashville because I went there when I was 16 and I really do feel like that was a such a formative experience just being in college at like a young age there so I think of that as one of the places where I grew up oh so you went to college at 16 yeah oh okay well good for you was that was that okay I don't recommend it no okay (laughs) so anyone's considering it I don't recommend it but I I guess I turned out okay it seems like it. Yeah. It seems like it worked just fine, but that doesn't mean <laughs> you felt great along the way or didn't feel like maybe you were missing something or whatever, uh, being on campus and younger than everyone else. Yeah. I, I think it can be a bit weird developmentally. And I think I always seemed mature for my age, but I'm pretty sure it was only because I was a pretty quiet child. And so it's easier to seem mature when you're just like quiet and not rambunctious. <laughs> I don't know if you'd agree with that. <laughs> uh, I think that's a general, safe generalization. Yeah. Person not acting out and doing anything stu- overtly stupid. So must be mature. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people don't know what maturity really is, but we'll let, we'll let that one go for someone else to solve. And we'll just hear another poem. <laughs> All right. Um, I will to transplant next um just on the subject of places transplant friday night in san francisco the fog a cold wall boxing me in insular contempt driving me out get out of our city go back to where you came from techie scum chink Never mind that chinks like me built this city, dusted its hills and creaky trains with their bones, painted bridges with their blood. Sunday morning, I am sitting in a free patch of sun in the park, watching the first dogs arrive, sniff new tails with suspicion. I don't need you to remind me I'm not from around here. A transplant that won't take, like the first foreign hearts rejected by the body before scientists learned how to make them beat as if they always belonged. Yeah, I told you before we came on that I just think that's was such a perfect analogy. Thank you so much. A transplanted organ that could be rejected or accepted. Just, wow. I must admit as, 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 uh, derogatory things go i i first time i heard techie scum was in your poem (laughs) but i guess it's more common out there in san francisco uh you know where there's more opportunities to yell at people on the street 
I guess. Probably true. If you're clean enough, we can call you a techie scum. Yeah, that's probably that's probably true. I um I think what made it extra difficult for me to hear things like this was that I was solidly not in tech. Like I wrote this maybe midway through grad school or like towards the end of grad school, maybe when I was um, kind of struggling. And also just like as a grad student, as I'm sure you know, cause you sure. were in academia, like you're not making a lot of money and like you're barely making ends meet and working all the time and I was kind of miserable for parts of it and then to like get yelled at by people in dive bars and just on the street sometimes like I just that was like kind of a breaking point that led to this poem (laughs) and it was just that was a total stereotype based on your face yeah probably I mean I, I can't think of what else Someone just sees you as, oh, she's probably good at math, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, probably. And also, I think I was with some friends at the time from grad school. So we're a bunch of like young, like 20 somethings who are dressed probably differently, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Someday the human race will learn. I I don't know. I don't know why I say that, but I actually do think eventually. But it's going to be a long haul. It's not going to be tomorrow. Yeah, you think that? I don't know. Somehow I am optimistic. Why am I? I couldn't justify it. I couldn't give you good, good logical reasons you would accept for why I'm optimistic. But uh, it seems like the four. I would talk yin and yang. It's like the two forces just keep pushing ahead. So I guess I like to think about the good guy forces. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I. I appreciate your optimism. I wish I could be more optimistic. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, my my <laughs> partner is also very optimistic, and I think it helps to balance me out. I don't think it's, I don't actually think it's naive. Like, I genuinely wish I could be <laughs> more positive about things. <laughs> well, your poetry is certainly positive, and let's hear some more of it. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe I'll go in a not positive direction and read possibilities. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, possibilities. One, while hiking a narrow trail, your partner gesticulates wildly and knocks you off the side of the mountain. Two, falling down seven flights of stairs into a room full of squashed face cats that swarm to devour your toes, your eyes. Three, brutal murder. Four, a tortoise dropped by an eagle that has mistaken your head for a large sturdy rock. Five, slow slicing. Six, being hit by a bus, and your last breaths tracing your initials into your best friend's palm at the hospital. Seven, live burial. Eight, stepping into a pit of boiling mud, surviving this long enough to develop sepsis. Nine, 
alone in the forest, mauled by a rare bear, the kind of bear you have spent your entire life studying. 10, pulled down into the dark, weighed by stones in your pockets, tied to your feet. 11, turning towards your beloved, feel a sharp pain. 12, choking on an unripe grape in your apartment. No one knows you are missing. No one finds you for two months. 13, 14, in a gray hospital room, wearing a white plastic wristband, your eyes turned towards fluorescent lights. You are very funny when you want to be. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> as, as you were, I had re folks, I read this in the book before we got on the air, so I knew what was coming. I would highly encourage you to go back and listen again. One of the beauties of having a recording like this. Um, yeah, and you know, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at you reading this, and, and I was thinking, if we, if, if you were on a stage making certain kind of movements, that poem would be a stand-up routine. <laughs> you know how they yeah. do. You've watched those things on Netflix. I have. They prance around the stage and point at the guy in the third row and all that sort of thing. And I could just totally see that done in that way by somebody. I'm not mm. saying you would want to, you know, because it's funny enough as it is. But it could definitely be done like a routine. <laughs> I like that idea. If this whole poetry thing doesn't work out, maybe I should try stand up. <laughs> there you go. Right. Mm, I wouldn't want to lose it. So you'd have it as a side activity, you know, sort of like mm. being a scientist, you know, just yeah. something, something else you do in life while being well, a poet. Well, one of my good friends here, Preeti Vangani, she actually um, started out in stand-up before she moved to poetry. She's oh. much funnier than me. So it shows that she did stand-up first. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, a lot of them are, yeah, some of the slam poets are really funny. And with yeah. the accentuated delivery and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just another thing to do with poetry. Um, yeah, but, uh, definitely. Yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are on slam poetry, just on that note. I think it's real good that it came along. It brought a lot of people into poetry. I agree. I totally agree with that. Yeah. You know, before there was slam poetry, there were way less readings happening in, mm. out in the communities. I don't mean by sponsored by institutions, universities, poetry centers, and blah, blah, but just have things happening in the community. I, I, just, I specifically remember when I really was impressed with that when this was probably in the 90s and mm -hmm. living in Albany, New York, and my couple of friends and I who did performance poetry had a gig out in Syracuse. Okay, so there's a the university, but really, we went out there and there were 50 people. And I'm thinking this would never happen if it wasn't the slam scene. And once a month was the slam night. And mm. between there was an open mic and guest feature and the slam happened. And I'm thinking a town like this, that be like, you know, six or eight people probably. Mm -hmm. And that's happening all over the country and it still is. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very pro agree. slim. I mean, hey, it's not like every 
academic poet is like brilliant and interesting and moving. So every slam poet is not brilliant and moving and interesting. So, okay, I'll take yeah. it. That's a little un unduly harsh criticism for, well, outsiders get criticized that way. Mm, so yeah. I guess that's part of it. Yeah, I guess that's true. But I, I do agree. I think it's a great way of engaging young people too. I've like here, I've seen a couple of like youth slam competitions. And mm -hmm. I'm always so impressed. I'm just like, I could not have gone on a stage and like recited something like that and given that sort of performance when I was their yeah. age. Like that's so impressive. Yeah, they had the national uh, tournament in Chicago one of the years when I lived there. Mm. And it was the absolutely most diverse audience and group of performers as to now I've still ever seen. I mean, it was age-wise. There were like teenagers. There were like 70-year-olds. There oh. were skin was every color you could imagine. It was just, it was just fabulous. And everybody was there with a shared interest in yeah. poetry. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, so yeah, big on slam. I think slam is a good thing to have. Yeah, for sure. I wish I had uh, known about it when I was younger. <laughs> you wouldn't have had a lost youth. You would have been slamming, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear another one. Um, okay. Let's do about face. I'm really just skipping around in here. Okay. This, uh, so about face comes sort of towards the end of the book. I guess I should have introduced the others. About face. A friend asks, have I encountered racism due to the pandemic? After reading about attacks on women and elderly citizens of Asian descent. I say no. And after a pause, I don't usually walk alone anymore only with my white boyfriend, so I can borrow his skin like a coat, wrap it tight round my neck. I think of the week after the election, walking home as usual, alone in the dark, a truck's high beam speeding towards me, startled by a shout from the open window. Go back where you came from, cunt. I'd almost forgotten I will never belong here. My parents scoff, you will always have a Chinese face. This impersonal rage, familiar and foreign as home. Like my last childhood house, the only place we lived for more than a year. Everything white like a hospital sheet. So empty and quiet, I whispered when friends came over. I'd wanted to paint my bedroom walls a color, any color, but my parents said no, they just have to be repainted when we move. They kept plastic on the sofa for protection. I hated how the plastic stuck to their legs, so I picked it off like sunburned skin. Within days, my jeans stained the cream pleather a dirty blue. What happens when you try to do things the American way? Worse, the bare sofa still stuck to sweaty summer legs, chilled my green winter core. How could I have forgotten not to be comfortable? 
Ooh, that, that's another good one. Thank you. <laughs> and appropriate it near the end to kind of brings things together. You reminded me of one more thing. I just have time for a little bit of something here. And I wanted to just ask you, uh, what about working on this translation of your mother's memoir? Uh, I'm, I'm just, are you learning things? I don't know what question to ask you. I just want to know about it, but maybe you're learning something real interesting or I don't know what. Yeah, thanks so much for asking about it. Um, I'm actually pretty early in this process still. So so actually, my so my mom wrote two books um, at the end of her life. So one of them is the memoir of her like growing up during the Cultural Revolution. It was really sort of um, an ode to her parents, her adopted parents in China who passed away when I was pretty young. Um, and then the second book, um, oh, so this first book was published in China um, and we had started to translate it together when my mother was still alive, but we did not make that much progress. And then the second book um, is sort of like a semi-autobiographical novel of um, her immigration to the U.S. Yeah. And that one was never published. So I guess part of my life's work now is to translate both of these. Um, and I'm kind of starting with a first one um, in, in part because there are aspects of like our political moment that sometimes remind me of the Cultural Revolution. Ooh. And so I feel like it can be... Um, there's a lot to learn there. Um, Give a little example. I guess just the way that words are weaponized and like opinions are weaponized now. Um, so during the Cultural Revolution, people would like sort of turn against their neighbors, even their own families, if they didn't have the right opinions. Um, and and so I, I kind of see that happening here and I kind of see it on like both extremes of the political spectrum, to be honest. Um, hmm. And that is something that just kind of worries me uh, yeah. as I'm sure it worries many people. Um, so that's something I've been thinking about a lot, but I, I mean, I will say, I guess back to the, topic of this translation it, it's fairly early um mm. and i'm i would say that my chinese is like not like excellent by any means I, it's very conversational i can read and sort of write like very laboriously and so like it's just a long process to, mm -hmm. to work yeah. on this project well, I'm glad you're doing it. It sounds like it's going to be a, a real interesting finished product. Thank you. I hope so. Um, a unique, a unique perspective, which is always welcome. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Okay. Well, folks, you are listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter, and our guest is Jenny Chi from out there in San Francisco. Be with us again next time for Poetry Spoken Here, where you can let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Mundley. And remember... 
Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>